Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 97, week 97, volume 97, number fucking 97. Hey, going, guys? How's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest is Byron from God Forbid, and that will be coming up later in the show. There's no album of the week for this week because it's reached that slow point of the year, the time of year where everyone's compiling their favourites of the year. No real releases, so we skip album of the week for this week. Single of the week, however, we've got a double banger. Two outstanding tracks released this week. First one from Antagonist AD. They released a first song from their upcoming EP. The track is called Pure Fear. The EP is called Through Fire. It's going to be coming out January 17th through Grayscale Records. These guys, oh, I think they're very underrated. I think they're unappreciated. Definitely in the Australian scene, but I think overall, these guys are one of my favorite Australian hardcore bands. And this song, Pure Fear, did everything I wanted and more. Really stoked for the new EP. As I said, the EP is titled Through Fire. Comes out January 17th on Grayscale Records. And that track they've released is called Pure Fear. Make sure you check that track out and make sure you pre-order that EP. When you've got some time this week, if you haven't heard our chat with the vocalist Sam, make sure you also scope that out this week. That is episode 36 of the podcast. Now, the second single of the week comes from Great American Ghost. The song is called Prison of Hate. It's from their forthcoming album titled Power Through Violence, which is coming out Valentine's Day, February 14th, through E1 Records. Ooh, this band, like, they have just taken that step further. Ooh, this is crushing. This is really good. This band needs to be on your radar if they haven't been yet. I can't rave about it enough. Heavy, groovy, oh, sexy as fuck. Really enjoyed this. Really excited for the album. The song is called Prison of Hate. The album's called Power Through Violence, coming out February 14th on E1 Records. Make sure you listen to that song. Make sure you pre-order that album. Also, like the other single of the week, we have had the vocalist Ethan on the show. If you haven't heard that, you're going to have to dive back to episode 18. Make sure you also check that out this week. It's now time for feedback, questions, and what's been going on. We have to give a special mention and a shout out to Maria, who's been sharing the podcast on Instagram. She discovered us, I think, around the time we had Sabian of Alpha Wolf on. That was episode 93. And then this week, she also shared it around saying, and we're very flattered to hear this, somehow the podcast manages to get all the exciting people on. And she shared a few of the episodes. Thank you so much, Maria, for getting into the show. Thank you for sharing and spreading the word about the show. Stoked you're on board. Hope you enjoy not only the back catalogue, but everything we have coming in the future. The other thing I have to say this week is thank you to everyone that has been sharing their end of year Spotify lists, you know, the statistics that Spotify give everyone who's a member about what they've been listening to the most for the year. We've been making a lot of people's top five lists for their favorite podcasts. That is amazing. 
That is absolutely astounding for us. We've been going since 2018. We've been slowly growing, step by step getting bigger. And to see that people enjoy it that much that they're tuning in every week is exactly what we aim for. So massive thank you to Joshua, Justin, Luke, Beck, Dawn, and Sam for letting us know and tagging us through their social medias, showing us that we're one of their favorite podcasts. Thank you. Stick with us, guys. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. The only other thing we do at the start of the show, and I say it every week, and it sounds like I'm beating a dead horse, but it is so very important. If you've got time this week, give us a rating and review, either on iTunes podcasts, maybe it's on Facebook, whatever it is, help us out, give us a rating and review, tell us how good we are, tell us how shit we are, whatever it is, give us a rating and review. The other part, spread the word. Whether it's sharing the podcast on your social medias, whether it's telling your friends about the podcast, spreading the word is essential to us getting out to more listeners because I can only get the show out to so many people. So when you guys help out with a share, it helps the show grow. But enough of the ramblings, enough of the jibber jabber. Let's get into the part of the show we're all tuned into for. This week, I got to sit down with Byron of God Forbid. First thing i got to say, thank you so very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. The other thing i got to say is I wanted this conversation pretty much from day one, and I'm so stoked we finally got it. Great, great conversation, in-depth, and everything you expect from the Mosh Zone. All about him, the band, the history and little things along the way. Outstanding conversation. Stoked to have this on the show. That chat with Byron is coming up now. Do you remember an artist, not necessarily heavy, but an artist in general that kind of opened your ears and eyes to a world that was music? Uh, that would go back to... Freaking, what was it? Uh, I want to say second grade kind of where uh i used to go to uh catholic school and this kid brought in a tape he was like yo you need to check this out and the tape was motley Crue shout at the devil <laughs> yeah well, and what did you think at the time were you just blown away by this this you know hard rock heavy music i was i was kind of like I, I didn't really like i liked it the, the cover kind of took me by surprise because it's like, you know, the original cover of Shout of the Devil, it's got all four dudes on there. And I seen that and I was like, yo, are these dudes or these chicks or whatever? <laughs> but then, you know, I ended up getting my mom. My mom took me to, uh, I think it was The Wiz or Sam Goody, and I grabbed the tape. And she's like, well, you can get three tapes. So I got that tape and then I got a Quiet Riot, a Critical Condition. I think that was the name of it. I can't remember. And then uh, I bought Prince, Purple Rain. Oh. It might have been Purple Rain. Yeah, it could have been Purple Rain. But, you know, those are like the three tapes that I started out with. And then, uh, you know, I started, I, I was just like kind of blown away. Because, like, my mom would play music in the house. But, like, the stuff she would play in the house was more, you know, like Barry White, 
you know, the Commodores, you know. So, I mean, like, I, I'm pretty much, I listen to everything. But, you know, when I saw those, I was like, oh, I need to check this out. <laughs> and then, you know, at first she was a little, the title, you know, kind of said it all. But, you know, she didn't really, she didn't trip out or none. She was like, all right. And she let me get it. And it kind of just snowballed from there. I mean, apart well, apart from the look and, you know, the title, what really drew yeah. you into heavy music? Because some people get into it because of, like, how aggressive it is. Some people, you know, connect with it, with, you know, the lyrics. I mean, what drew you into heavy music? I just, I just like the way it sounded. You know, I mean, I, I got into it just by the sound. Like, and, I mean, it kind of, it was different which I always like to be different. So, I mean, it kind of drew me in and then just constantly listened to it over and over again. And then I started from there. I kind of went from the Motley Crue after, after girls, 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 I kind of left them alone. And then we started just delving deeper. And then I got into Iron Maiden life after death cassette like everything for me started with cassette so it was iron main life after death and then after that i got a megadeth so far so good so what and then it just snowballed and into the anthrax and then just everything 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 anthrax uh among the living was like like my shit like i used to watch the video cassette every day after school the concert and then you know i started watching the iron man the iron main concert the live after death, the video, and it just kind of snowballed. I went into the Venom world, and then I got really heavy into King Diamond, uh, Fatal Portrait, you know, um, Conspiracy, Them, Abigail, like my 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 old actually the original singer before me, like he got me heavy into into a uh, King Diamond. So I just went King Diamond, and then. It just went crazy up to like, I don't know. I liked everything, dude. Like Slayer, obviously I got, you know, South of Heaven on vinyl. Oh, you know, yeah. I was, was that? Oh yeah. Now that's a classic. Yeah. I was fortunate enough to get it signed because we did Ozfest in 2004 with the original lineup. So I was able to get everybody to sign the record for me. So like, yeah, that's like a prized possession. So you mentioned, you know, earlier, you know, music was was in the house. Um, mm. What what was it like with music in the house? Was there any instrumentation? You know, were was music as a career something that was kind of talked about in the house as a possibility? Oh uh, well, I mean, my mother, she grew up playing the piano. She started playing the piano when she was like seven years old. Mm. So like. She, she was going to go into uh, the concert pianist world, but she decided that she wanted to have me. So that kind of broke that. And then she just started playing for churches. So naturally growing up, since I was so little, I would have to go with her to all the churches that she played for. And I just ended up joining the choir at two or three of them. And just it kind of music was always in the house. So she was always playing, whether, you know, it's church music or whatever. So, I mean, music has been like always there for me regardless you know it's like even now like when i don't feel so hot about something or whatever like i'll just put on an old classic song that you know takes me to a certain place and like i can just 
Like I can do any as long as music is there. Like I can sleep, I can eat, I can work, I can do whatever. But like I need to have music around. You know, it's just just it's just one of those things that will always be a part of me, whether I'm you know active or non-active. But it's just it's just that thing. You know, unfortunately, you know when you pursue that thing, you have to be prepared to make sacrifices. And honestly, I felt after almost 20 years of doing the band, like I had done enough sacrificing that I wanted more out of life. You know what I mean? So I left, I didn't, well, the band dissolved and I was already about to have a child. So I decided to go to school and then learn, get a career. And then this is where I'm at now, five years later into my career as an HVAC technician. And, you know, I love it. I'm able to provide for my family and you know, I, I've had people ask me if I would still want to do music. And at the time, I, I didn't want to do it because it was like, look, like I need, I had set a certain lifestyle that I wanted to have. So it's like, yo, I, I would be doing music for the wrong reasons if I do it now, because it'll be all about the money. And I didn't want it to be about the money because when you try and make it about the money, you don't succeed. So I just had to let them know straight up, like, it's not important for me right now to pursue that aspect of life anymore you know i'd love to be back in the music business but you know hey it's business so in order to perform well in that business you got to have you know certain things in place to make sure that you're walking out on top as opposed to being used and abused by people in the industry well, yeah, and, and you, you you mentioned the big phrase there, sacrifices. You know, you get a bit yeah. older and life changes, so yeah. the sacrifices that you used to be able to make because you didn't really have responsibilities can't really be made when you get a bit older. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, it's like, I mean, you can live off $400, you know, when you're solo, mm-hmm. but if you got a kid, a car, you know, a mortgage, like $400 a week is not really cutting it. No. <laughs> you know what I mean? It doesn't <laughs> $400 now doesn't go anywhere near where it might have went earlier on, you know, but even then it still wasn't, I mean, you, 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 you know, you learn to do without, but you know, you're doing without, but all your friends that aren't in the music are prospering on whatever they're doing. And it's like, they want to hang out. And it's like, dude, I want to hang out, but I have to, you know, be mindful of my expenses so I can make it through, you know, cause you're going out for four to six weeks of the clip, you know what I mean? And, even though you're out, like the stuff back at home doesn't stop. You know what I mean? You still got to make rent. You still got to pay your phone. You still got your car insurance and things like that. You know, life still goes on while you're out on the road. So if you're not in a position to be able to take care of those things, something's going to, you know, start to uh, fall apart. And, yeah. you, know, you, you know, you don't want to come home from tour and have nowhere to live because you didn't pay your rent. So, well, you know, I mean- you just got to things into consideration yeah i mean you also part of the things that you miss out on is things you know you do miss people's birthdays you miss funerals you miss weddings you know it's the sacrifices you do have to make um i think sometimes get forgotten by the general public well yeah i mean one of the worst experiences i ever had was we were doing the overkill tour 2012 and uh we were coming back we had finished the tour and we were heading home and I drove through the town where my grandmother lived. You know, I was like, maybe I felt like I should stop, you know, just because it would have gave us a break and we could have took showers and hung out or whatever. But I was like, nah, dudes wanted to go home. 
So we just kept driving. And then two days later, I get a call from my mom. My, my grandmother died. So, oh. you know, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's little things like that that kind of just woke me up to what was really important. Because, I mean, like we all gave it our all. You know what I mean? Every we left it, we left it on the record. You know what I mean? Like all the pain, everything. Like those records are real, and we're real proud of everything that we did. But you know, there comes a point where it, it almost feels like you're beating a dead horse because you're you're. It, it, the the saying was always, "Well, write the next record, write the next record. If things aren't working out now, write the next record, write the next record." And we kept writing good records, you know, and. We just never had the proper team at all times. You know, like we'd have a good manager, but we wouldn't have a good booking agent. You know, we'd have a good booking agent, but we'd have a crap manager. You know what I mean? It's just like, you know, everything was good with the label, but then things went bad. You know, there was little people at the label were leaving. You're getting new people in who don't really feel the way the old people felt about your band. So they're going to do what they're supposed to do, but they're not going to do it 100%. You know what I mean? And so it's like, you have all these different things that come up and go. And it's just like, at the end of the day, all these people are trying to make decisions for you that affect your life. But at the same time, like your life is going to hell, but they're okay because, you know, it's part of their job and they're home. And, you know, they, they don't really have nothing to lose because their ass, you know, isn't out there. Mm-hmm. So those things, you know, they start to wear. You know, you have management making these promises that they don't keep. And it's like, well, we'll never send you like, such and such. But then when the time comes, it's like, well, we can't do this. So we have to send you the way we say we'd never send you. And it's like, dude, man, it's like, you know, but at the same time, they're screaming, we want our cut. We want our end. You know what I mean? So it's like people performing their jobs and not performing them to their fullest, but they still want to get paid. And I understand wanting to get paid for what you do. But it's like at the same time, like the artists want to get paid for what we do, you know, and it's just not happening. No, and you, as you mentioned there, you, you also reach a point when it's been going on for so long and you're feeling like, you know, you're pushing against the wind. It feels like, okay, we just need a break here. And you do look at the releases. Some of them I really think should have catapulted you guys bigger than what they did. And then surely, obviously, it gets to a point where you just go, look, my life is not where it should be. I'm getting older. And how long... Do I have to keep doing this for that yeah. break? Well, I mean, especially that and especially when I mean, a lot of it, the most important thing you can have on tour is your sanity. Mm. That's the most important thing to you, because you need to be able to step away and like reevaluate and just even just to get a clear head. But, you know, if you're not riding right and it, it's not meant to sound like I'm bitching or moaning because I'm I'm happy about everything that we did, but it just comes to a point where it's like, you know, you got five to ten people in a fifteen passenger cargo van, you know, and it's you just played a show, but it's seventeen hours to the next show. So everyone has to take a turn driving. So you one, you don't really get to relax. And two, it's just like it's cramped. You know what I mean? If if it's a seventeen hour drive to the next show, and it's early doors. You got to be there early. You, like there's no, there's no if ands about it. You know what I mean? You have to be there early. You have to unpack. And it's just it starts to wear you down. And if you're worn down on the road, man, you you you'll make it through. But you you'll just be you start to argue with other people. You know, and it's not really them that you're mad at. It's just the whole situation of how you're rolling. 
Yeah, you know, and, those, and, and those relationships you have with each other, you know, they're yeah. under they're under pressure, a boiling pressure and pressure point as it is, as you said, in that environment. So that's yeah. when little arguments turn into big arguments. That's when pointless shit becomes big shit. Um, yeah, it just it comes a whirlwind of stress, um, which yeah. you know, for everything that you you do and sacrifice, it reaches a point where you just go, oh god, I mean, really. I mean, fuck. Yeah, I mean, that's that's where it was at, man. You know, it's like I love I love all the dudes. We all love each other still, and you know, other dudes are out pursuing other projects, and you know, it's just you know, we had a session where we were like, we're gonna take a little time off, and everyone's gonna explore what other avenues they want to look into before it's too late. You know, and for some of us, it was family. For others, it was like they wanted to try different things. So, you know. I wish them all well and, you know, everyone is doing well in their own perspective way, but, you know, it's just everyone, you know, we just need a break, man. We're just getting burnt out, dude. And, you know, we honestly, I'm, I'm glad we went out on top as opposed to fizzling, you know what I mean? Because we can still sit here and say every record we did was amazing because it was amazing. You know, there's no, there's no filler in there. There's no crap in there, you know, unlike some bands who just don't know when to let it go. And they just put out garbage. And um, that was never our thing, to put out garbage. Yeah, I think that's really important. You guys did. You finished on a high note. You didn't, like you said, churn out shitty albums. And then people starting to go, why these this band's still doing it? I mean, really important. Yeah. Um, want to go back to kind of the, you know, a uh, question with when you grew up in New Jersey. Do you remember the first live show you went to that kind of sparked that thing inside you to say, I want to be up on stage. Well, I mean, the first show I ever was supposed to go to, I was, it was 83. I was supposed to go to Judas Priest, <laughs> but my mom wouldn't let me go. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, I was too little. I was like third, fourth grade. So she wasn't gonna let me go. But, uh, after that, I'm really, I never really got to see live bands until, Maybe I was, I want to say, 19, 20. Mm-hmm. And the first band, live band that I saw was Yngwie Malmsteen. Ooh. Yeah, and I mean, the show was cool, but the dude was an asshole. Because oh, yeah. I remember yeah. earlier that day, we had went to a, a guitar store because he was doing a signing. So I brought my guitar with me. And unbeknownst to me, like I'm standing in line waiting for him to sign my guitar. He signs my guitar and he writes his name and he's like, play a Fender. And I'm like looking at this dude, I'm like, yo, why the fuck would you write that on my guitar? And he's like, because they pay me to. And I was like, yo, you're an asshole. Mm. So beyond all that, I ended up going to the show. And the show was pretty interesting. It was good. It was like my first show that I actually went to. And, you know, it was a good time. And then after that, I think the next show I went to, Shit, I think it might have been um, King Diamond. Mm. But but even before the music kicked in, I had I started doing some bouncing at these shows. I wasn't really bouncing. I was security guard at a couple of shows, and I just basically did it just to go to the shows. <laughs> so I ended up going to see. Uh, it was it was it was on the deep manufacturer. It was uh, Fear Factory, Slayer, Kilgore, Smudge, and one other band. And then I worked one of the first warp tours, which had like Hatebreed on there, it had Deftones, 
Yeah. And uh, a couple, like uh, Reverend Horton Heat was on there. Ooh. And uh, who else was on there? Uh, Rancid and Social D. It was pretty cool. But then, like, you know, like, it never really, I never really thought about music, really, until being a performance artist, as far as music goes with the heavy stuff, until I saw Living Color. That's what made it seem like it was reality, because it was me and my drummer, Corey, we were in school together, and Beaker was a year ahead of us, but we weren't really messing around with Beaker like that yet, but it was me and Corey, and it's like... It's like, yo, you see that new band, Living Color? It's like, yo, they're black dudes. It's like, yo, we could do this shit for real. And that kind of sparked something in us. And then from there, we kind of, we went and played a talent show at school, which is in our uh, Rated R Real, the home video of mm. the God Forbid, Neath the Scars. But, uh, you know, I mean, we didn't really, even then we had a good time at the, the at the talent show. But, I mean, it just, being from New Jersey where we were, you didn't really see a lot of people getting signed. There wasn't, you know, that activity for people to get signed, like, musically. Like, there was a another guy or two that were in a band that we went to school with that, you know, they had a band and they were trying to do music. And, you know, they did some stuff, but they didn't really do any real stuff. But, I mean, they tried. But we never really thought about it until much later in life. We're like... I was going to school for recording engineering and uh, the dudes, that's when we had met Doc in Dallas because of our old singer, his cousin knew them and we got together with them and we just started playing and, you know, we kind of just, for us, it was just a weekend thing, you know, hanging out. It was like something to do to hang out. So we'd hang out at the rehearsal studio and just practice and jam. And then we started playing local shows at VFW halls and community colleges where we met uh, the dudes from Overcast and Candiria and uh, Dillinger Escape Plan. You know, um, you know, we and this band that was really blowing up. What was it? They weren't necessarily blowing up, but like they were the band that like we admired a lot, which was For the Love Of from mm -hmm. New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, we were just doing our thing, trying to play with them and you know, we had one of the guys that was in the scene that was like, yo, I like your band a lot. We want to put out a, a demo for you. And it was like, all right. And then we convinced this dude to give us like six or $7,000 to do a record. And we went to the studio with his money and we recorded uh, Reject the Sickness, mm -hmm. which, which uh, you know, was before its time. But we did Reject the Sickness with uh, Steve Evitz, who actually did a... Uh, he had done the Snapcase, he had done Dillinger, he had done Hey Breed, Satisfaction album. Like, we had heard what he was doing, we are like, yeah, we want to work with him. And he did our record, and he liked what he heard, and he sent it off to, uh, he knew someone at Central Media, so he sent it off to them. And then when we went to Master, Alan Duchess heard what he, he liked what he heard as well, and he's like, I'm going to send this over. So they sent it over to Tom B, who was at Central Media at the time, and off the strength of that they wanted to sign us so that that's how we got signed we were we weren't looking for it it just came to us did did know? reject the sickness um give you guys apart from the record label thing did it give you guys a bit of um momentum in the scene because 
at the time that scene started popping off, you know, you mentioned quite a few bands there, you know, and you guys were playing with a lot of them. Um, yeah. Did you notice that give you guys a step up or was it kind of kind of ignored by a lot of people? Um, locally, it was doing well, but the problem that occurred was we wanted to put out, well, what happened was we did the record and then the guy who put the record out got greedy. Mm. Central Media heard the record. They wanted to release the record, but they wanted to buy it off him, but he wanted too much money. So because of that, the record, he, it, the record went, oh man, it, it's, the record was still good, but basically because he didn't want to pay, he didn't want to sell it for what they wanted to offer. Central Media was like, all right, well, we'll sign you guys, but you need to do another record. So basically we ended up doing Determination. So we didn't, we had maybe Man, I want to say six, seven months after Rejecting Sickness had been done that we started messing with Central Media and we, they wanted us to record a record. And that's when Determination came about. But because they acted, well, because the guy acted shady, not really, well, I think it's shady because yeah. these dudes were going to make what they made, by, you know, they're going to make their money back. They weren't going to make any money off of us, but they were going to break even. And they wanted more. So they got greedy, which ended up, if they had went and done the right thing, then that record would have came out before Shadows Falls of One Blood. Ah, okay. Yep. So it was around that same time. So that kind of, like, and I love the dudes in Shadows Fall. We're still, we're all family, but the reality is the reality. Because this dude got greedy, like, of One Blood jumped on the scene and it was the first indoctrination of that new style. Instead of rejected sickness. Yeah, I mean they 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 were one of those bands that because that release got out earlier that everyone was saying, um, what was it, new wave of American metal. I mean you guys were included in there too. Um, yeah. But that tag felt a bit strange because you're you were one of the bands that everyone was mentioning, but it always felt like you guys were the underdogs in that group that list. Did it well, feel like you were, or were people? Yeah. Yeah, it was strange. I mean, it was was nothing against the dudes in the bands, but Mm. definitely at that time, the problem that we ran into is because the band was so ethnically charged, no one knew how to market us. Really? So, yeah, that was that was the whole thing. It was like they tried to make it an issue that we were this, that we were black. And, you know, like this, we just didn't. It always felt like. Even though within the scene it was cool, like it didn't matter, but at the end of the day, it mattered. Mm. That makes any sense. It's like it's like we didn't conform, we didn't look a certain way for what we were doing, which made it almost impossible for people to one either take it seriously or look behind the fact that you know it was individuals that didn't look like them playing better than most of them. You know what I mean? So, I mean, a lot of that is a, is a giant pill to swallow, but I mean, we never, we never let it get to us, but you you know, we would hear things and then, you know, there came a point when we were putting out the record for Central media that 
they had to do a different cover art because they didn't know how to market this new style of music because the the German office was so set in their ways that it has to look metal. It needs to, you know what I mean? Like they, mm. they didn't understand the blending of genres at the time. It was like either it's metal or it's fucking death metal or, you know what I mean? Like it has to be hardcore. It's like they were too pigeonholed with trying to put it in a box as opposed to just letting it out there. And then, I mean, with that, you know, that that leads me to a question about the style that you guys played. I mean, your the style you guys were doing was kind of a blueprint that would later on be copied, replicated. Um, it was kind yeah. of you set a bar. All of you bands in that new wave set a bar. Um, at the time, did you really feel like what you were doing was different, or did you just kind of feel like, hey, we're just doing what we want to do, and we don't think it's of anything, you know, too weird? I mean, we. Had- we had there were other bands that came before us. I'm not gonna say we were the be all end all, but like you had Marauder, mm-hmm. you know, you had Leeway, you know, there were bands that were doing, you know, fairly what we were doing, but like me, honestly, I don't really talk about them too much because I never like I never really listened to those bands until after the fact. But I mean they were already out there doing it. It's just for us like, I mean, we wanted to be, I mean, I don't know, man. We just, we just played what felt good, you know? And then we had solos at that time. There was no solos. Mm-hmm. So we had solos, you know? So, I mean, dudes, we play at the hardcore shows and dudes are like, yo, you dudes are metal. You know, it's like, yeah, we know. But, you know what I mean? It's like, we didn't really, I mean, we weren't trying to be, Big head or nothing. Like, we know we didn't reinvent the wheel. It's just we came with our own interpretation. And, you know, we were, at the time, we were just that good. You know what I mean? There was, I mean, there was a lot of good bands, don't get me wrong. But, you know, for where we were, where we came from, the town we were from, like, we were the best of the best. Yeah, and I, I find it very strange that, you know, you mentioned how the label didn't know what to do with the band, not only with how you looked, but also how you sounded, because you throw on any of those albums, especially for me, because the one that I discovered first was Determination when it came out, and mm-hmm. th- throw it on, and I threw it on the car before I even got a chance to look at it, and bang, it's marketable. You don't you don't need anything else. You just got to hear the music. It's It says it in itself. It's just everything. And and so many twists and turns, like you said, solos going on. There was big, big riffs going on. It it was a phenomenal album. And I think maybe by the sounds of things that because people didn't know what to do with you, maybe that was a shortcoming you guys constantly faced. Well, I mean, I kind of feel like it is. You know what I mean? I mean, because now when you look at today's generation and people's musical taste they're more apt to embrace things that aren't necessarily like everyone else's Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like like everyone now is open about being like yeah i listen to metallica yeah i listen to king diamond yeah i listen to napalm death you know but back then it was like people tried to keep different styles of music that they liked like under wraps like they'd hide that shit you know what i mean like a dirty little secret but like for us it was like it didn't matter like our whole goal when we wrote music was to be able to play with anybody 
and and fit in. You know what I mean? Like we toured with Cradle of Filth. You know what I mean? Like and they're and I want to say in the in their prime when like 2001 we toured with Cradle of Filth. You know that same year we toured with Guar. You know we toured with Nevermore. You know we toured with Opeth. You know so like for us it was all about just trying to get out there and you know showing the goods basically. Like we never. Like there, I mean, sometimes it, it was rough just to try and convey what we did musically to certain audiences. And that was just mostly because of language barrier. Like, I think the roughest time I had was 2004 on the Gone Forever when we, uh, we went to Europe with Machine Head for 10 weeks. That was, I think, the roughest tour for me ever. Just because of, you know, going to different countries. Like, we went to Croatia. We went to Macedonia. You know, we went to Spain. You know, we went to Germany. And it's just, you know, sometimes the language barrier makes it harder for Americans to communicate with other um, countries just because they have this idea that all Americans, like, are, they believe for the most part, that our government represents who we are as Americans. And that's not always the case. Mm. So already get that built-in uh, feeling. So, you know, I mean, it, it sucks, but, I mean, that's just the way it is. You know, I mean, if you don't really experience meeting Americans one-on-one and, you know, you you see, I guess, their representatives – then you kind of feel that way. But once you meet people, then you understand where they're coming from. So for us, even though it was the roughest time, it was the best time because they actually got to see Americans who were different than what is thrown on the TV as Americans. Yeah, and that's got to be embarrassing too, though. I mean, that's embarrassing that your your people in power um, are setting a tone for what people, uh, other countries think of you they think oh okay so here comes this american he's exactly like all the people in power yeah i mean it is but then that's when you have to reverse it and you know show them that we're not like the people in power per se like some pe- some of us are like some of the people but you know america is so diverse that you know there's a little bit of everything in everybody so you know what i mean it's just trying to keep all the good parts to show people as opposed to the, the good and the negative parts. But, I mean, everyone has good and negative in them. It's just you treat people the way you want to get treated. Yeah. So that, that's the philosophy we live by. Yeah, fuck yeah. Um, I was, we were talking about sound there. A question I, always, I wanted to have also was, was there any point where you had label pressure to change what you were doing? Because the sound that was going on around you guys was really booming. Did, was there any point that management or representatives from the label said, you know, guys, I really think you need to do like this or that. And if you do this or that, we can sell more. I mean, was there ever that? Cause it's, it seems like you guys always stuck to your guns. It was what you wanted to do. I mean, the only pressure that we ever had was the pressure that we put on ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, after doing, you know, after doing Determination and touring for forever, it seemed like forever on that record cycle, the fact that as soon as we went home, everyone that was doing that style kind of blew up. 
So it was like, wow. <laughs> you know, we go home and then this, this, the sound gets big. And it's like, okay. So it's like, then we're trying to fight for not even just being considered a part of them, but just, you know, for our place, you know, that we, that we felt that we earned. We didn't say, not saying that we were the be all end all, but you know I mean? We, we, we were responsible for helping laying the groundwork. So we just had to kind of help people remember that we were there in the beginning, you know? So then, you know, that little bit of time when we were gone, that, that little window was, it was kind of eye opening. So that's when we went back into the lab, so to speak, and we did Gone Forever. And then, you know, everyone thought we were going to boom. So we were getting all these crazy offers before, you know, when they found out we were going to do OzFest, we got all these crazy offers to do OzFest. And then, uh, you know, uh, it kind of, the wheels started turning. But, you know, at the time when we did OzFest, it was a crazy OzFest. Which but, OzFest I mean, was that one? Uh, we did Ozfest in two thousand four. It was uh, Ozzy. Uh, it was Black Sabbath, Judas Priest, Slipknot, Slayer, Hatebreed, Demon Borgir, uh, Lacuna Coil, Darkest Hour, Bleeding Through, Throwdown, Every Time I Die, uh, God Forbid, Devil Driver, Otep. Uh, that's a stacked Ozfest just there yeah it was crazy but uh, our off date shows well Trey was on there too our off date shows were uh, we played off date shows with Slipknot, Slayer and Hatebreed I mean was that also at the time where you had to buy on to get onto Ozfest or did you guys just get on no we had to buy on now can you explain to listeners because some listeners know about that some don't can you mm-hmm. explain at the time what that meant and how important it was for a band at that period to get on Ozfest? All right. Well, at that time, like Ozfest was the be all end all of summer festivals in America. Like there was either there was Ozfest and there was nothing else. You know what I mean? And you know the initial Ozfest, you know, you had like Pantera on there and Ozzy, obviously, and then it was it was pretty much to make it or break it for bands to either go platinum, which is a million records in the U S and have like longevity careers of being able to play music professionally. So basically what it ended up being was a giant rolling, uh, summer camp where you would go from venue to venue across the country. And, you know, you'd play these big, uh, amphitheaters, so, uh, you know, uh, it's included in that you had to buy on, you had to basically get in like seventy seventy five thousand dollars mm. and then, uh, it would all go apparently to promotion and what have you and things like that. Um, you know, it was like you have a rotating slot on the second stage. You have your main headliner, which was Slipknot. Slipknot headlined the second stage and then you'd have, uh, Hatebreed, Slayer, no, I mean, excuse me, Hatebreed and Lamb of God would like rotate <clears throat> spots and then all the other bands would rotate. So one morning you might play at 9.30, the next day you might play at 10 o'clock and so forth. And everyone would go through that except for, you know, the obvious headliner for the second stage, which was Slipknot. 
But I have to give kudos to Slipknot because, you know, this is when they're blown up. They could have easily played the main stage, but they wanted to play the second stage. But when they did that, they hooked us up more than people even realized because, you know, the biggest thing about Slip, uh, about Ozfest was even though there was two stages, there was really not a lot of showers. So the main amphitheater would have the showers, but, you know, they weren't going to let everybody use them. You know what I mean? Because you got like all these dudes and, you know, band dudes and crew dudes like trying to run up in these little, you know, 10, 15 showers. It wasn't happening. So, you know, Slipknot made it a priority that, you know, they would have showers at the second stage for all the bands. Like they would have their own private shower, but they made sure that all the bands had access to a shower by getting trailers, shower trailers for the second side stage, you know, which they didn't have to do. But those dudes are cool as fuck, man. Like even to this day, they're cool as fuck. Like I've been out of music for a while now and I went to, I guess it was the Slayers. No, it was fucking, I went to that too, but I went to Slipknot Lamb of God and I went to the show and Corey was there and he was actually, you know, playing with my kid <laughs> backstage, like okay. showing him his mask and everything. It was just like, those dudes have always been cool with us. You know, even though we never got the success that we wanted, we did get the respect from the music themselves, the people themselves. So. Yeah. And you can, I, mean, I think you get, I think you get a lot of that respect also because of the albums. I mean, gone forever. I'm really surprised. It didn't blow up as big as it should. I think that one is, I mean, that's my personal favorite, that and then well, Constitution. Well, again, that goes back to the machine, the animal, the machine. You know, it's like uh, if you put a good record out and you don't follow through after playing a big tour like Ozfest, you kind of end up effing yourself. Mm. Like, uh, you know, it's like when we were doing Ozfest, like all the bands like that were on that tour, their sound scans were skyrocketing, skyrocketing, you know, and then they would start to fall off. But our record, it started to grow momentum and just kept going and just smoothly moving ahead. But um, I had noticed, like I had spoken to management on that tour and I was like, you know, uh, you know, no, you know, we got Ozfest, you know, kind of trying to line something up for when Ozfest is over so we can, you know, dig off the momentum. So we never did an actual headlining run after we played Ozfest. We ended up actually, we went, we were home after Ozfest. We went to Japan for a weekend or about a, a like three to five days. And then after we left Japan, we came home for a week off. And then we ended up going to Europe with Machine Head for 10 weeks. And then after that, um, we didn't have any shows lined up in America to gain the momentum from that Ozfest. And at the same time, it's like we were losing our booking agent. He had lost hope in us and our management lost hope in us. So it's like, if you don't have all the pieces to the puzzle, you know what I'm saying? You can't finish the puzzle. Yeah. So basically while our record is booming, our team is dropping. So, you know, and I mean, I understand now why it happened, but at the same time, when you're living it, it doesn't feel so good. You know, like now I can, I'm okay with it. But back then I was like, 
very pissed, but I couldn't say anything because the fear of blacklisting someone in the industry would totally ruin your career. But I don't have a career to speak about, so I can speak on it and not give a shit. Did you ever? You know did I mean? it, did, yeah, I know. But did it ever feel like why us? Like why the fuck us? Because everything is there for success, as you said. But why us? Why can't we get the same shit together that everyone else has? Why can't we get the label push, the management push, everything going? I mean, honestly, like I don't want to make it seem so co- so easy to say, but like. I mean, honestly, like, at the time when it was happening, I just felt it was because, you know, because we were black. Mm. I mean, it, I mean, a lot of people are going to, you know, cringe when I say that, but, like, it was just a feeling mm. that we had and that some of us personally have because it's like we were doing the things that the other bands are doing, but it just wasn't catching on, you know? And then we try to placate it to, all right, well, maybe the music that we're writing isn't grabbing people. You know, I mean, so it's like we're questioning ourselves as well as questioning, you know, the people around us. I mean, the people that work for us wholeheartedly work for us like they gave us their all, you know, and we've had discussions and it's like no one could really answer that question. Like even certain people at the record label and certain people at booking, they could not answer the question as to why it wasn't gravitating to people like no one knew. But on the inside, it kind of felt like you know, it was a racist thing. And the only reason why I kind of say that is just because like you, when you're playing a show and you have people come up to you and be like, yo, I didn't know you guys could play like that. You know, yeah. I didn't know black people like metal. You know what I mean? It's like, mm. you don't get that a lot, but you do hear it here and there. So it's like, like, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to lie. Some people that like metal are just, you know, dumb fucks. Yeah. And I don't think that to be, Anything other than, you know, if I'm not trying to call people backwards, but like sometimes people, if you don't look like them, it's hard for them to accept you. It's also condescending. It's really condescending to say anything like that to an artist because they're not going to go up to someone who's white or Caucasian and go, oh, I didn't know you'd like metal. Oh, I didn't know you could play like that. It's condescending. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and and at the same time, it's like you you try and laugh it off as much as you can, but sometimes, you know, it's just it it provokes thought. You know what I mean? Because it's like, well, maybe maybe it is because we're different. You know what I mean? But you know, our music sounds the same. The people that like their music likes our music to a degree. You know what I mean? It's like it was just weird, man. It's like no one. I don't even know. Like, I I mean. I don't know. I it's just some when I sit and think about it now, it befiddles me. Even though it doesn't matter at this point, it's just like just the idea that like I would have to say that and then people will be like, Well, that's not it at all. But it's like, but you can't there's 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 no way to prove it, you know, whether it's true or not, and there's no way to prove that it wasn't it. So mm-hmm. it's like it is what it is and we just did what we had to do, you know what I mean? We try not to have that be a factor, you know, but, I mean, who hey, knows, man? You were a bunch of sexy motherfuckers making that music, man. Didn't matter what. Um, yeah. Now, next album was the absolutely barnstorming concept album. Um, I've still mm-hmm. got the bonus DVD version, too. When that was a thing, kids, they used to release bonus DVDs. Um, yeah. That album... 
never felt like it got pushed enough. What was it because it was concept? No, well, see, here's the thing between the gone forever and the constitution of treason, we had lost our management, we lost our booking agent, the guy who was our AR was leaving Century Media. So, like, we had no one. No one. Mm. No one. So basically, we, what, what happened, we ended up, we finished the tour, that Machine Head tour in Europe, which took us, which was, we were there for 10 weeks. So we came home in December. We were, we had no, no team. We were like, fuck. And then the shit with Dimebag happened. Mm-hmm. which was real, real crazy because one of our guitar techs at the time that was with us in Europe, his girlfriend was at the club where it happened. And my ex-girlfriend at the time was on the bus hanging out with them the night before when they were in New Jersey. So I have, I had gotten a phone call because I guess she had left her phone on the bus. So they were trying to get in touch with her and, you know, we wake up two, three days later, we're in Macedonia and then it's like, you know, Dime got shot, mm. you know, and, um, it was, it was a weird time. Uh, I only met him twice, but like all the dudes in the band I met him, like we, Doc and Dallas actually met him when we were, uh, mastering Gone Forever. They met him in the studio. And he was hanging out, and the dude was cool as fuck, man. Like, the greatest soul ever. But then, you know, that happened. We came home, and dude's like, yo, we need to write a new record, a concept record. And then they're like, yo, we need to write a song for Dimebag. And then, like, that's when we wrote To The Fallen Hero. And then I was like, I need to to widen the, the expansion on it because... Like, even though Dime is a great, awesome dude, not everybody got to meet Dime. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to make it more of an anthem for all fallen heroes. So that's how that came into play. So basically, you know, we have no A&R dude. We have no booking agent. We have no manager. And then... Our, their initial guy, Tom B, who signed us, who's who actually decided to help us work on the album. Because he was like, he was kind of in and out of Central Media. So he was working on helping us get the album done. And he, he shot the video for the bonus stuff. And uh, he helped do the artwork and the layout and everything. And then we put the album out. We had tried this other management company, which was supposed to be a good thing but it didn't turn out the way we thought it was so we kind of we didn't have the push and then our initial management let us fall into some shit that kind of pigeonholed us because uh basically we were sharing the management with uh shadows fall and uh, when shadows fall did ozfest Central Media put a stipulation that they had to do. They were done with their record cycle, but they kind of got forced to do another record for Central Media or they were going to pull their tour support oh. for 
for touring. So basically that happened to us on the constitution. Well, not on constitution, but that happened to us when we did Ozfest. And I tried to warn management at the time to not let us fall into the same pigeon that his other band fell into. And it just went on deaf ears. And then that's when I got irritated with them. And then that's when management split with us. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a fucked up story, man. It's all jacked up, but I mean, that's what happened. And then, I mean, obviously that's all that shit's going on. And then obviously that is, that's starting to affect the relationship within the band. I mean, it was, yeah, I mean, it's, it totally affected people's relationships in the band and certain people flew off the handle and, you know, said statements to booking agents and management that, you know, like when the band first started, everyone would talk to everyone when it came to the team as far as management and booking. But it got to the point where only certain people would talk to management and booking because management and booking felt overwhelmed having to explain themselves to five individuals instead of two or three. Mm-hmm. So instead, when that happened, certain people that were doing all the talking you know, said things that irritated certain members in management and booking and decided to relieve themselves of the situation and other members in the band had to hear about it secondhand. Mm. So that made it a little... It made it a little shit. Mm. You know what I mean? So... I mean, you got all this going on and you're still trying to live, but you still, you're not trying to have that affect the music, but I mean, that kind of shit affects the music, you know, because it just happens. You know, we, we cut that, we did that album, I think between writing and recording, I think we did it in like two and a half months, Constitution. So, I mean, it was, it was a good record. It's just, we didn't have the proper team to you know, fill it out. I mean, we toured on it and we, we got some tours, but we never had the proper setup. Like most people have like, uh, prime example, like, like bands now, like, you know, you're, they're going out, but you know, they're alerting people that they're going out three or four months before the actual tour starts. You know, we had people that were booking us shows and tours, you know, maybe a month to two weeks prior to us going out on the road. So, you know what I mean? It's like, we're coming to your town. Like we're telling people we're coming to your town. And then it's like, yeah, we're going to see God forbid. And then, you know, they can't wait for God bid show. And then they go and it's like, Oh, they were here last week. Uh. You know what I mean? So it was, it was a lot of that, a lot of not, a lot of improper prep time for certain things. And, you know, I mean, that's just how it is. I mean, now it's totally different because, the amount of social media out there and the way that social media changes everything. But back then you got to remember like the internet wasn't necessarily new, but it was still new. And, you know, Napster was there, but it wasn't really there, but people were downloading, you know, and it's like, it was just a whole different time. Like the gas prices went up in the States, you know, to almost like $5 a gallon going from like a dollar 30 to like two thirty up to $5, you know? And it's like, you got these guarantees, you know, you're, they're offering you X amount of money, but you're not filling in the venues like 
to warrant that kind of money. So the next time you come around, they're not offering you that kind of money anymore. So it's like all these things are working against you, but you're still trying to put on a good show. And in order to do that, you know, you're jumping in the van, driving 15, 20 hours to the next show. So, you know, you're beating up your body, you're beating up your, your mind, you know, you still have all these people that apparently are trying to work for you, but they're really not working. And if they are working, they're not doing a good job. So, but they still got to get paid, you know, and you're coming home, you're not selling merch like you used to. Now, no, not everybody agrees on the merch styles. Certain people want to draw, have this type of merch. Other people want to do this type of merch. You know, you're ordering the wrong merch here and there and you're getting the merch, but you're waiting to the last minute. So you're paying extra fees to have it overnighted as opposed to just, you know, it's just a little bit of everything goes a long way into destroying all of it. So we just basically ended up burning ourselves out. We couldn't really necessarily get on the same page with each other at all the time because of, you know, life choices that everyone made. So, you know, things just wear and tear, you know, and it's like people don't really understand it because they're not living it. You know, it's easy to say, well, just jump in the van and do it anyway. And it's like, yeah, but, you know, like, you're not you're not the one doing it. You know what I mean? You're not living it. You, yeah. you don't have to you don't have to come and try and figure out how to get back in in the black, you know, after someone that's supposed to be working for you made a huge mistake on your behalf. You know, and all they can do is say sorry, but you still got to eat it. Yeah. And you've also, you know, you're losing your passion, you know, and as as we know with the band, you know, you release Earth's Blood um, and then Dallas leaves the band. Um, and yep. then that's when, does it start feeling like the writing's on the wall when, when Dallas initially left? It, did it feel like, okay, we'll keep going or did it feel like, well, it's only inevitable now? I mean, honestly, like, the way he left was totally childish. Mm. You know what I mean? Uh, Like, obviously, I haven't spoken to Dallas in a long time. He's tried to reach out a few times, and I was still a little hurt to the point where I couldn't deal with him. But now he's in a certain spot in his life where I hope he's doing okay. But... I mean, at the time, you know, we had done this album and Earthbread was Earth Blood is amazing. It's just we had done a European tour and then we had all this stuff lined up and we got back from Europe with uh El Nino. Was it El Nino? It was either El Nino or Devil Driver. We get back from tour. Um, you know, we we start to get ready for the next run. We were supposed to go out with Lamb of God and uh, Children of Bodom for their headlining run. And, you know, he gets into an argument with his brother. And in a fit of rage, he's like, you know what? Fuck it. I quit. Mm. And once he said it, he couldn't take it back. But, you know, it was like right before we're literally like leaving to go to do one rehearsal before we leave for the tour. And he quits. So, you know, it's like, fuck. And I, we called him, try and get him back in. And then, you know, he was, Dallas is a very headstrong person. So he's going to do what he wants to do, no matter what. He doesn't care 
about anyone else's feelings but his own when it comes to if he wants to do something. So it got to the point where we were driving, we were trying to convince this dude, you know, to do the tour. And he came out with this outlandish uh, thing like, all right, I'll do the tour, but. And it was like, yo, dude, you know, there's no way we can do that. Like he knew we couldn't do that. So he was just being a dick about it, you know, and unfortunately, I don't know if you'll ever get to talk to Dallas to hear his side of the story. But from my side of the story, he just straight played a dick move and he tried to position himself into power to the point where he thought that if he left, that we would succumb and have to do whatever he wanted to do. And, you know, to the strength of his brother, he called up Chris. I'm not Chris. Freaking. Doc. Well, Doc, well, Doc made a phone call and he called up our friend, man, from Darkest Hour. Oh, yeah. Chris, Chris, um, with a K. Chris Morris, yeah. Yeah. And he fucking came out and learned this shit in two days. So we were able to do the tour. And then at that point, like, we were rolling with Chris. I was like, yo, fuck him. Like, let's see if we can keep Chris. But at the time, Chris was going through some life choices of his own, and he didn't want to tour anymore. So it didn't seem like it'd be a reality to have him in the band. But, you know, so we just finished up what we did with him, and then... We knew Doc knew uh, Matt Wicklund, and uh, we got with Matt in the band, Tricky in the band. So he kind of joined the band and finished the run with us, and then it's time to go home and write Equilibrium. Yeah, and then you guys, <clears throat> it feels like what happened with Earth Earthblood happens with Equilibrium. It comes out, and then pretty much after it comes out. Like, I remember it because Doc comes out and says, you know, that's it. I've left. And then you've had to come out and go, okay, guys, yes, unfortunately, the band's over. I mean. Well, I, ne- I technically, I didn't, I never said that the band was over. Yeah. What I said was, I, what I said was down but not out. Yeah. That's what I said. Meaning that I was prepared to move forward with the band, you know, but at the same time. I knew to move forward with the band without Doc or Dallas, we would have to, it would take some time because you can't, you can't have God forbid without one or the other. You know what I mean? Like God forbid can't be God forbid without Doc. You know what I'm saying? Like it it could be God forbid without Doc if we have Dallas, Mm. you know what I mean? But it can't be, it can be God forbid with, with Doc and not Dallas. You know what I mean? It had to be one of the two brothers in the band in order to keep it as God forbid. You know what I mean? We couldn't necessarily go on as God forbid without two of the guitar players, even with Tricky in the band. And, you know, like, I have some way about how I feel about Tricky. And, you know, the dude's a great dude. He's a phenomenal writer. But, you know... On the live, at that point, at that time, on the live setting, it was not good. Hmm. So to continue with him, you know, like I'm saying a lot of shit that I've never said before, and I never even said anything to him about it. But the reason why 
I can say this is because I've heard the solo tracks from our sound guy. He sent us tracks from when we did Trespass of America. And let's just say it was not good. Mm. So at that point, honestly, I just felt if Doc is leaving, Corey was the one that was like, yeah, God forbid it's over. You know what I mean? And at that point, honestly, it was over because there's no point in trying to move forward if the sound ain't going to be like, God forbid cannot be subpar. You know what I mean? Like it, that, that's just, it's, it's better that it's not here than to have it sounding like shit. I mean, it did, was starting. did you start to feel, you know, were you determined to push on or was it really like, um, I'm angry at this now. I'm fucking fed up. Um, you know, where were you I mean, at? I mean, before, before we, before Doc quit, like I was, like we're we were supposed to be on hiatus, and some shit happened, and I didn't approve of some shit. Some people, you know, started using God forbid's website for their own personal shit, and I wasn't really feeling that, so I had you know, did some things on the page to delete some shit. And because I deleted some shit, there was consequences and repercussions. And part of that was dude getting fed up and leaving the band. So Mm. that's on me. But at the same time, it's like, I, I, I don't know. Like God forbid is real. God forbid is part of me. So I'm not going to do anything to hurt that brand. You know what I mean? And I'm not going to use that brand to not nec- to better myself, so to speak. Like, I mean, I will, but it has to be tasteful. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm just not going to use it just to get something. Mm-hmm. And some people were just like, oh, I was in so-and-so, you know what I mean? Like, and you were only in there a minute. So, like, that I didn't appreciate. No, it's riding riding on the coattails, and that's not what it should be. Yeah, exactly. So that's why I did what I did, and the repercussion of what I did is what happened. But I I feel bad, but I don't really feel bad because... After hearing what I heard, like it, it didn't feel right to have that coattail written like that when you are in a position of something like that and you can't deliver. No, I think it's. I think in 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 if anyone was in your shoes, I I know I'd do the same. It, it's um, there's a sense of integrity and respect, and when that when that goes, it's just not acceptable. Yeah. It's not acceptable. No. Um, is there ever been a point when you've thought, you know, we mentioned at the start about how, you know, life changes, but has there ever been a point where you're like, look, maybe we get together and do uh, a celebrational reunion run of four shows or 10 shows or. Honestly, I mean, as much as we would all love to do it, I don't even know if it's feasible to do because doc right now is in bad wolves. And they're freaking skyrocketing. Like, you know what I mean? They're constantly on the move. And uh, 
Corey has his project that he's working on. And he has actually a couple of projects that he's working on. But, you know, at the end of the day, the re the real main factor is in order for God forbid to do shows, like I'm gonna just say it right now, like we if we did shows again, it wouldn't be it couldn't be with Matt Wicklin. You know what I mean? Because it it just couldn't. No, you know and I mean? then you've got the problem where you're not really talking to Dallas. So, I mean... What well, Dallas, Dallas is a, a far gone, like... I don't think that's ever going to be resolved in this lifetime. But, I mean, in order to really have, God forbid, play shows, like... The reason... It would have to be someone who is a fan of, God forbid, that knows the catalog. Or... It would have to be someone that could learn it really quick because the only person that could really teach the stuff to him would be Doc. Mm. And Doc's already busy. You know what I mean? Like, Doc is super busy. So it would have to be someone that's motivated to be like, yo, I want to play with God forbid. And that's the only way that it could happen. Because, like, again, like, Tricky is a good guy and he's an amazing guitar player. But when the shit goes down, like, like, it, it, the shit was stifled. You know what I mean? Like, our, my whole thing was this. Like, my whole philosophy of God forbid. Like, at any point, God forbid, when we play live, should be able to pick any song from any one of our records in our catalog and just pull it out the hat and play it. We could never do that mm. with him. Mm. You know what I mean? So, like, he had all the material, and he was always playing his guitar, but you wouldn't know it from what you hear. So, it's like, that's why. Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? And I, and I feel bad saying it, but, I mean, it's the truth. You know what I mean? And I can play the wave files, like I said, from our sound guy, from the shows, broken down side-by-side, side, guitars playing, and you can hear... The difference between Doc and Matt and how Dallas would play. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like it's just too much flubbery mm. to to bring God forbid back and have that in the mix. Like, if God forbid were to come back, God forbid needs to come back, like, God forbid, of, like, 2000, 2001. You know what I mean? Tight, like a machine. And it, it's not like that. I so, mean, do you, do you miss it? Is there any point in your life where you go, I miss the, not necessarily sitting in a fucking bus or a van doing cramp I fucking miss touring? Shows. I do miss playing shows. When when friends come to town, I go to the shows. And, you know, I, I do get a little nostalgic. Uh, Doc was just here actually with uh, Bad Wolves and Five Finger Death Punch. And uh, Tommy called me up on stage and I did Officer Down with them. <laughs> so like that that was the first time I've been on the stage in like six years. Back. So I mean I, I did miss it and I did love it, but the question then becomes how much did I miss it and how much am I willing to put myself through in order to recreate something that didn't work for me the first time? Will it will it work this time? You know what I mean? It's like where I'm at in my life right now, I'm more I have more stability than that what if. You know what I mean? And that's that's the remaining factor. I got a six year old, you know what I mean? He just broke his arm, you know, not too long ago. So it's like that bill in itself is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Now imagine having to pay that bill being a musician. 
with no health care. Mm-hmm. So, you know what I mean? It's like I have to weigh the pros and cons of it, you know. And since we all live in different parts of the of the U.S. now, you know, just getting together for four shows isn't as simple as it used to be when we all lived in New Jersey and Pennsylvania, you know, and plus the factor of needing to get a second guitar player. Yes. So what about all that? Um, what about legacy wise? I mean, do you think looking back with rose tinted glasses, are you proud of the musical legacy you guys have laid? Because I do think there is a legacy that you put in there. I think you go back now and, Albums like Gone Forever are still as good now as they were then. They hold up. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm very proud of our legacy. That's why I wouldn't sacrifice our legacy to go play a couple of shows here or there. You know what I mean? I'd rather leave it the way it is to entertain it. Hmm. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, that whole... The whole, the best thing about us being gone right now is that everybody wants to see us. But even though everyone says that, if we did come back, it's more like put your money where your mouth is. Mm-hmm. You know I mean, you can say you missed the band, you would come see the band. But if the band was really out, would you really come see the band? You know what I mean? It's like, and would we be able to come to your town on a night where you could come see the band? So it's, you know what I mean? It's like, it's wishful thinking, like. I would love to be like, yeah, we're going to play some shows. We're coming back, you know, sold out 3,000 seaters, what have you. But that's not the reality. No. You know what I mean? And there is no evidence to that because of our previous records. You know what I mean? Like, Mm. and our previous concert attendance shows, you know what I mean? Like, that the idea of that is awesome. But when it boils down to it, we're just not packing in seats like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, we might now, but who knows, you know? But at, at the same time, other dudes are doing other things. So it's like they're not going to stop their lives that are current to go on a way back in the day trip. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I understand where they're all coming from. And a lot of people, you know, like, I, I really do want to play again. I do. But it has to make sense. Well, you know, yeah. financially and mentally and physically, it needs to make sense. I mean, um, what you've also got nowadays is the um, the industry is a whole different kettle of fish. Oh, totally. You know what I mean? It's like these bands nowadays are so booked so far out in advance. Like, you know, you got, like I just saw that, like uh, a couple of days ago, Slipknot's got a cruise coming, you know, the summer of 2020. You know what I mean? Like, and it, it's hard to compete. Like everything is like as music is still important, but I just don't feel that music as is, is as important as it was when it was necessarily like my generation or the generations before me where like music was more than just listening to it. Like you lived your music, you know what I mean? You felt music. Like now people just have music on as background noise. Mm. You know what I mean? There's not really a lot of people that are diehard music. Like, I mean, yeah, there's some bands that are selling records and I don't know how the fuck they're doing it when, you know what I mean? Like in this industry where if you go to a store, you barely see any records at Walmart or, you know what I mean? Like any of the freaking chain stores really don't have record selections. So, I mean, yeah, a lot of people are streaming music, but I mean, 
there's something about putting a CD or a cassette or even an eight track in your stereo and turning the speakers all the way up. I mean, you don't get that from streaming. No. You know what I mean, you don't, you can't like, even though computers are advanced and sound great, it still does not sound better than a fucking stereo. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that whole stereo, like, cause I grew up on a stereo dude, like, you know what I mean? Like, and, I was that motherfucker living in the basement with my fucking King Diamond, my Slayer, my fucking Testament, my Anthrax tape or CD blasting, you know, rocking the whole house. And my mom like stomping on the floor to turn it down because I got the bass, you know what I mean? Rumbling through the whole house. Like that's my era of music. You know what I mean? And that era is gone. Yeah, I, I was the same. You know, I mine was started out in the end of tapes and then with CDs and I still collect the shit now and I still have everything I had. Um, yeah. It, it, like you said, I mean, I think some people don't realize it is very convenient having everything on your phone or an iPod, but have you no, actually, well, it's convenient, but the sound is a lot different. It's so yeah. compressed on your phone. Yeah. Um, well, the thing is like, but see, but when you travel a lot, it's perfect. Mm. Like, if you do a lot of traveling, then it's perfect. But to sit at home and listen to music, it's not perfect. No. You know? When you live on a... Because, like, in the beginning, like, dudes would roll around with their fucking CD wallets. You know? Like, 200 (laughs) fucking CDs in their fucking... You know what I mean? But it's cool that you could do that in your little pocket. But, again, man, it's like... For certain things in certain situations, it's okay. Like, if you're... Like I said, if you're traveling... And you gotta have your music with you. There's nothing wrong with having. Like I still rock my freaking 120 gig iPod. Yeah. You know, like when I get on the airplane, it's it works for that. But if I'm home and I'm listening to music, I'm putting in the CD. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I mean, that's just that's just me. That's just my. I, I want to say my generation and my era at that point because kids nowadays are all about their face in their phone constantly. Mm. Even at shows, their faces in their phone, you know, at family events, their faces in their phone, you know? So it's like, there's a total disconnect between people and music and society. You know what I mean? It's just crazy. So, uh, the last question is kind of everything you've seen, experienced, witnessed, um, in your career, what advice, do you wish you could have gone back and given yourself when you started out? I think my advice, the only thing I re my advice would have been for us, honestly, to have paid for our first album, reject the sickness ourselves. Cause that could have changed everything. Mm. If we owned it, we could have sold it to Century media had an album and didn't have to rush to put out an album. And then it would have been people, more people would have heard it and understood. I think that's where the disconnect is like, because that album came out and it only sold whatever it sold, which was maybe 3000 locally. The fact that of one blood came out and then this new band that no one heard of, God forbid, got an album coming out on central media. I think it would have put it all in context because I think no one knew who we, no one knew we existed before we signed with Central Media. If you weren't outside of the local area, you know what I mean. So I think that in itself 
would have combated the uh, Shadows Fall. And I think Shadows Fall had to jump on it because Brian was in Overcast. Mm. So he was already, a, he was a figure. We played with Overcast, but he was already a figure in that scene. You know what I mean? So naturally, him having a previous history also helped Shadows Fall establish themselves Whereas we had no history, no one knew outside of the tri-state area that we lived, that we existed. So to hear determination, you know, from a new band, I, I could see where they might think, oh, these dudes are jumping on the bandwagon ever. But for those who have the true discography, you know, from Out of Misery to Reject the Sickness to Determination to Gone Forever to freaking constitution to earth's blood to equilibrium you can see the progression of the band throughout time you know what i mean and you know unfortunately our window got cut short because of issues with management and booking you know to force our hand to have to do another record as quickly as you know we did and then again to do a record and then have Dallas leave and not be able to explore that record live so people could get that across, you know, and then do equilibrium and not be able to get that out live. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like our last, basically our last three records, you know, kind of shelved themselves before they could actually make it out to the public because they never got the, sh the full light of day like they should have. Hmm. And it's just it's an unfortunate sequence, but at least the music is there. Um, well, I the music is there. If, you, if you're interested, I mean, like, if you, if you really want to know the history, if you really want to know about the God forbid struggle and all that, I mean, it's out there. Hmm. You know what I mean? People, if they're really interested in what's seeing, you know, the, the possibilities or the potential of this band, that kind of got shelved prematurely, you know, it's, it's out there on YouTube. It's out there on Spotify. We got stuff out there. You know, I don't know who's getting paid off the Spotify plays, but someone's getting paid. Fuck. It ain't us, but yeah. someone's getting paid. Fuck. <laughs> you need to make some so, of that cash, man. Well, we can't, man. I mean, it's, it's, it's weird. Like apparently Central Media got bought out by Sony or something yeah. at this point. So anything of that nature, you know, it goes to Sony mm. and Sony ain't checking for us. You know mm. what I'm saying? Mm. Like we're a small fish compared to the people on their roster. You know what I mean? We're like, we're the shit on the, on the heels of whoever the, the lowest band that they have, you know what I'm saying? It's like, so. And they're not going to go out of their way to send you a royalty check, are they? definitely not no you know what i mean especially something that's not really you know like we man that shit is just gone in the wind dude yeah <laughs> just, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? whatever just just I imagine mean, it doesn't exist yeah i mean i don't i don't think about it like if i if i when i really start to get nostalgic i'll just turn on youtube and watch God forbid live shows and videos. I've still you got know, the, I, I've still got the DVD. Have you still got your own copy of the DVD? Yeah, I have it somewhere. 
I have two actually, but like it's, it's more for me. It's just to like watch my kid to see it, because like now he's he's starting to get into it. Because I take him to all the shows, and um, you know he's his favorite band right now is Corn, so he's hey. practicing he's practicing his vocals with Blind. Fuck yeah. So I mean he's got the screams. You know I post a little clip here and there on Instagram. He's got the shit. You know what I'm saying? And, like I'm gonna just develop him, but I'm gonna let him know. You know, because he he wants to play bass and he wants to sing, and I'm all like I'm cool with it. But he's gonna have the straight up heads up before he even thinks about getting in there into the music business. Because at the end of the day, um, it is a business, and the last person to get paid is the actual artist. So he needs to be secure and understanding that, and be able to have a side hustle until he can get what he deserves. Yeah, and as you said, it's a business, and it chews people up and spits them out, and it still does it today. It's and it, yeah. unfortunately, it's always done it. Um, well, it's the way it's going to be. Yeah, it's, <clears throat> that's shit. never going to change at all. Nah, never will, never, never has. Um, Byron, we're going to finish on a bit of a fun thing. Um, that's what I do with everyone. It's called pick your poison. Okay. What I do here, man, is I give you two options. And you pick your favorite of the two. So basically, we're going to find out what really makes you tick. Okay. Okay. Now, would you rather a pizza or a burger? I'd rather a pizza because I got a burger right now and I'm not really... Burgers are eh. <laughs> but, I need, but I need East Coast pizza. I'm tired of this El Paso pizza that's like really... It's okay, but it's nothing like East Coast pizza. Uh, would you rather ribs or brisket? I mean, I could do either. Mm, okay. <laughs> I mean, it, well, it depends on are they homemade ribs or store bought ribs or restaurant ribs. Restaurant. Um, uh, depending on the restaurant, I could do ribs, but more than likely, I probably do brisket. Okay. Um, are you chicken or beef man? Beef. Okay. What What's your favorite cut of steak? I like T-bones. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah, sick. I like gnawing on the bone. <laughs> yeah. Um, Soft taco or hard taco? Hard tacos. Um, Smooth peanut butter or crunchy peanut butter? Uh, I can go either way, but for the most part, I usually do smooth. Uh, do you prefer coffee or tea? Uh, I drink coffee when I need to. <laughs> Um, do you prefer to cook at home or dine out? I prefer to cook at home, but I'm doing more dining out, which I need to stop because it's wasting my freaking money. Yeah, I, know. I buy I buy all these groceries and then they don't go, they don't get eaten and then they go bad. So I'm like kicking myself in the ass. I'm buying food twice, and I never really <laughs> feel full from the takeout food that I'm buying. So I definitely rather to cook, but the only problem is when I do cook, I tend to cook a lot of steaks and ribs. So <laughs> I, I need I need more vegetables in my diet. That's what I need. Um, do you like to go to the movies or sit at home on the couch? Uh, that depends on what movie it is, because most of the movies now I have with the streaming services, I can watch it at home and pause it and go get something to drink or eat. And, you know, I don't have to be bothered with nonsense people yelling in the back. 
So <laughs> I can actually enjoy the movie and watch it and get wasted and not have to worry about getting home. Yeah. Um, do you prefer the beach or the snow? I prefer the beach. I mean, I grew up where there was snow, but the only thing I hate about snow is having to go to work when it snows. Mm. Like, if I don't have to go to work, then I can chill with the snow. But if I have shit I need to do, I don't want to be bothered with snow. No. Um, are you a cat or a dog man? Well, I've had a cat, and now I have a dog. So, at this point, honestly, I don't think I'm either. I'd rather have no pets, because it's a headache. (laughs) (laughs) Too too much work for too little reward. (laughs) Um, Terminator or Predator? Predator. Um, Rambo or Rocky? I mean, right now in my current state, I'm going to go Rambo. Okay, nice. Uh, Freddy or Jason? Well, I mean... I would have to go Jason just because Freddy's a pedophile. Yes. Yeah. People forget <laughs> that. People forget that. Yeah. Um, South Park or Simpsons? Uh, neither. I like the Boondocks. Hey, yeah. Sick show. Yeah, love that show. Um, Slayer or Pantera? Damn, dude. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucked up. Um, hmm. I mean, they're both over at this point. Mm-hmm. But I mean, oh, man, that's a hard one. Because I, I I love both bands, and right now, currently, I'm more Slayer. But when I need it, Pantera is there. Something about that groove you can never kind of dismiss. Nah, definitely not. Um, Converge or Dillinger Escape Plan? No, Dillinger Escape Plan. I'm Jersey. Uh, Cannibal Corpse or Black Dahlia Murder? Um, I have to go Cannibal. Um, Sabbath or Van Halen? Van Halen. Nice. Uh, Metallica or Megadeth? So basically James or Dave? Well, I mean, that that would depend on the albums. Which albums? Let's go... uh, Let's go mid-90s era of both bands. Mid-90s? I would do I guess I'd have to go Metallica. Nice. Okay. Um now last few. Um do you prefer to see stage dives going on or mic grabs? Uh at this point I think it would be safer just for mic grabs. Mm-hmm. Stage jobs are pretty, pretty chaotic. Well, yeah, well, after what happened with Randy, mm-hmm. you know, and the fact that 
most people don't catch people anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or 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 they or they do something really foul when it comes to the women and start fondling them. Yeah. So I would definitely go with the mic grabs. Mm, would you rather watch a show from the pit or from the sound desk? That would depend on the band playing. Okay, if you're seeing Slayer. It would be safer at the sound desk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Would you rather tour for the rest of your life or record music for the rest of your life? I mean, I mean, I mean, I would like to record music, but I mean, I could now, but I don't. So I, I would say tour. Okay. Now, properly. Last one. You're giving. You're gonna get given your all-time favorite album. Do you want it on CD, vinyl, or on your phone? I would take it on vinyl. Yeah. The quality is just oh, so sexy. Well, the quality and the fact that you have to take the time to actually put it on and listen to it and start it over. You know what I mean? You can always press repeat on your phone or your CD player. But to get up and turn it on and sit down and wait for it to start up and hear the crackling, I think that's the best feeling. It's also how big you've got the artwork, just a big blow-up version of the artwork that you can see and yeah. you can look at all the inlay stuff. It, it's just, oof, I love that. Yeah, I, I got my, I haven't, I sold my record player. I need to get a new record player, but uh, I still got a box of, Mad records. I got the Ozzy Tribute. I got Iron Man, Seven Son. I got the Slayer on record. I got Metallica's Injustice for All on vinyl. Ooh. Uh, yeah, I got some. I got some records. <laughs> yeah, you got some quality there, man. Um, yeah. Now I'm just gonna just say, take the moment to say, Byron, thank you. So very, very much, man. I really, really appreciate um, you having the time, but also just being so fun to chat to. Um, you were easy to talk to because I didn't need to constantly ask things. You go on tangents. That makes this so much enjoyable and easy to do. Well, thank you. The only thing, you know, I mean, I go on tangents, but uh, I try not to do that because, you know, it can come by come back to to bite but whatever i mean not at all you were good well i mean i just I put it I, when i say that i say this to say this that you know like even though i said what i said i stand behind what i said mm -hmm. but i don't want it to seem as though that i'm bitter because i'm not bitter but at the same time i just want people to know that you know we wish, and I especially wish that, you know, things didn't go down the way they did, but they, you know, I, I can only control my life. You know what I mean? So it is what it is. And, you know, will God forbid ever be around again? I don't know. You know, would I, would I like to say yes? Yes, I would. But I mean, we just have to see what happens. As long as we're still breathing, I think that anything is possible. You, yeah. you were straightforward and, 
my respect for you has just gone tenfold because you were just straight up, no bullshit, to the point. Thank you, man. Thank you. Um, And um, it meant a lot for me as as a fanboy. You know, I'm sitting here and I've got all my fucking CDs and, you know, your music meant a lot to me when it came out, still does today. So to be able to say I've had you on the show means a lot to me and I really, really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Thank you, man. Uh, I've got to say thank you again, Byron. means a lot, man. No, no problem. Much love right. and much respect, brother, and um, I'll be in touch. Okay, cool. I'm going to go finish cleaning my garage now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, later, boss. Later.
So that was my chat with Byron of God Forbid. And at the end there, you heard the band's track Antihero and Precious Lie. Both of those come from the band's album Gone Forever. And the last song you heard was Chains of Humanity, which comes off the band's album Constitution of Treason. Now's the part of the show where I sparked that bit inside you. If you enjoyed the conversation, if you enjoyed the music you heard, now's the time. Get online, have a stream, have a download, whatever it is. Get into this amazing band and their amazing discography. God forbid, one of those bands I think if anyone likes heavy music, they should know about. And if they don't know about them, they will love them. Also, if you're into physicals, get onto eBay. Grab yourself a CD, a vinyl. Maybe there's some merch on there. Grab some of that as well. Whatever you got to do, support Byron, support God forbid, show them some love. Also got to take this moment to thank Byron again. Thank you so much, dude. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. Look forward to talking again soon and look forward to doing a part two. And that's it. That's the Mosh Zone episode 97 done, dusted, all wrapped up, locked away for this week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that We need your help to get out to more listeners. So if you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget, you can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the purse.